Psalm 11. By the way, it's not really worth looking at. I just thought it would be fun to see. (laughs) All right, Psalm 11. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you will. I'm going to read the entire psalm. If you read the Bible systematically, you've probably read this psalm. But I'm praying that after we're done tonight, that when you do read this psalm the next time, that you'll you'll read it a little differently. And I think it has a lot to say to us in this dispensation. How many believe the Bible is the Word of God? Okay. How many believe it's perfect? Amen. How many believe it says exactly what God wanted it to say? All right. Now, if that's true, because it's truth, then it doesn't matter what dispensation it's read in. Because truth is always truth. If it was right in the first century, it's right in the 21st century. So what we're going to read tonight It's not relevant because we're reading it in the 21st century. It's relevant because it comes from God. So when we read uh, uh, Psalm 11, notice what the Bible says. And the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. That they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the upright. I'm sorry, the Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone. And in horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. And let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for a wonderful day. And we just want to thank you, God, for all of your bountiful blessings that you've given to us. Lord, if we counted the benefits tonight, just that are in this room would be here all night long. You've been so good to us. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for putting yourself out there behind all of your promises. Lord, we know that you're not a man that you should lie. Neither the son of man that you should repent. Have you not said it? Shall not not you make it good? So tonight we trust you. Lord, we believe that you are the great God of heaven. We believe that you cannot lie. We believe that by, by faith and grace we're saved in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We believe your word tonight, and as this word is taught and preached tonight, we pray that you would speak to us individually. We ask that you would help us as we leave here tonight to leave understanding and knowing the will of God. Lord, that you would give us the faith and the courage to fulfill it this week, that others may see the light, that others may taste the salt, that others may experience the love of Christ in us. And God, we pray that you'll bless the Grandview Baptist Church, Pastor Mutchler and the staff, these people that come faithfully. Lord, thank you for their fidelity through these last two years. We pray that you continue to bless that. Lord, every time the word of God is preached in this pulpit, we ask that you bless it. Thank you for the soul that was saved today, the family that came to this church. Thank you for those that return for the first time. We pray for others that they would return as well. And God, in all of it, we promise to do one thing. Give you all the honor. Give you all the glory. We pray that you'd bless our time tonight. I 
pray that you'd please help me to get out of your way. I yield myself to you. I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit. Use me also tonight as your mouthpiece. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I grew up in the days when television was only as good as your aerial antenna. Did you got the picture? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Perfect timing. Oh yeah, Brother Mutchler was out there too. I forgot. So on the other side of that Dead Sea, all of that that you're seeing over there, that's Jordan, the country of Jordan. And uh, those buoys are there to prevent you from floating across the international line there and being arrested by the Jordanians. But, uh, so that's where we were at. And uh, it was a wonderful trip. I would encourage you to go. Um, it, from what I remember, the water's warm. It wasn't cold. Um, when you get out, there's a lot of mud that you got to go through. And, and you got to shower before you get back you know, on the bus. But I've had people in the three trips. I don't know that I shared it with y'all's trip. But I've had people come out of there and say, oh, my legs feel so much better. I had this problem with my veins and this problem with aches. And I think they're healed. I was like, well, glory to God, they're healed. But I, I didn't know it had any healing power. But uh, they sell all kinds of minerals and salts and stuff that you can rub all over your body and smell good or smell stinky. I don't know. But people take the mud. Remember this? They take the mud. Remember that, Fraser? And they rub it all over their body. And then they lay out in the sun and let it get hard. And yeah, you did it back there. Yeah, I remember. How are you? Well, just talk for a minute. And they can just listen. How's that? Remember, they just laid, you, you laid out there and you got it all over. I've seen people literally completely covered in mud, laying out there until they're hard. And they walk over to the shower like this because they don't want to crack it up and then wash it all off. And it takes an egregious amount of time to wash off, remember? It just like stays on you and stays on you. And, and uh, I don't know what you were healed of, but maybe you share that with somebody else later. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, Psalm 11. Okay. I grew up in the days when television was only as good as your aerial antenna. How many remember the aerial antenna days? And you only got the stations as if, it were, if they were good enough to reach your antenna, right? And there was normally, it didn't matter where you were, well, at least where I grew up, there was only about 13 channels. And the only way to turn your television set was to go and grab the handle and turn it, unless you had a son, and then I became my dad's remote control, right? Son, I need to turn it to 13. I get up and go over there and turn it to channel 13, then I go back and sit down. I don't like that program. I need to turn it back to four. Okay, I'd go back. And, and you'd turn it until you found something uh, good to watch. The only way that you knew what was on TV was one of two ways. Either you just flip the channel, what they used to call flip the channel. If somebody, people, all these people are like, yeah, I remember those days. They were awful. The TV quality was awful. That was the days in like 11, 30, 12 o'clock, it just went to snow after that, right? And uh, some of the young people are like, it snows in your television? How does that work? Yeah, it's crazy days, man, snowing in the television. Anyway, you turn the TV, or if you were lucky, you would go through the grocery store line, and right where you checked out, there was a little book called the what? TV Guide. See, now we have, we have instrumentation that says guide, and you push it, and this TV Guide comes up. Before, uh, boys and girls, they used to have books. And you had pages that you had to look. And they had a, like a graph that would say at 7 o'clock on this channel, you had this. And at 8 o'clock on this channel, you had this. Remember that? And that's the only two ways that you could find out what was on television. Well, sometimes you'd be watching these old, old movies, you know, like that's back in like the black and white days. Some people like it snowed and then they had black and white TV. Uh, uh, my son said to me one time, my youngest, my, my, my second son, he said to me, Dad, I was talking about black and white television. We watched a black and white movie. <laughs> he said, Dad, when did the world turn color? 
There's a little guy. I said, it's not that long ago. I remember when it just turned color one day. I woke up, bam, it was all, everything was color. We were like, hallelujah, we could see differently. But those were, those were the days, right? Now, and on those old movies, if it was like a saga, right? You had these movies that were made and they would go on and on and on for hours, i.e. the Ten Commandments that was made by Cecil B. DeMille's, right? That was normally a Sunday night movie and it didn't end till like Tuesday night because there were sections in there that when it would come up, it would say, to be continued, right? There's a Hallmark movie that I have tortured all five of my children with over the years. It's one that's called Chitty Chitty. Fill it with me. Ah, my son would be like, Dad, you made him say the movie. Well, you remember there was one part in that movie. By the way, how many have never seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Okay, you've never seen it. All these guys right here. That's it. That is an American classic. You have to watch Chitty Chitty bang, bang. And you have to say it like that, right? All right. Right in the very beginning of the movie, or right toward the middle, you remember when they go off the cliff and they're going down and it's all this harrowing music and all of a sudden it goes, and it says to be what? Continued. Some things are meant to be continued. In other words, they put that in there because they must be continued in order to bring it to the right conclusion. Those movies were bridged and they left you in somewhat of a suspense. And then when you picked it up, if you carried it all the way to the end, it would be brought to its right conclusion. The psalmist begins our text in faith and trust, then describes the immediate calamities and impending threat. And he asks the question in, uh, in chapter 11, he asks the, uh, in Psalm 11, he asks the question in verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then he brings them to the right conclusion in verse 7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So at one point he describes this questionable, this vulnerable environment. After he said, look, I trust the Lord, but if all this happens around me, What can the righteous do? Or you could say this way, what should they do? And then in verse 7, he says, let me tell you what God loves in the context of this vulnerable calamity. He loves righteousness. Now, for those that study your Bible, the word righteousness just means doing right. It just means right acts. So let's back it up a minute. No matter what the situation, no matter what it looks like, no matter how bleak it may be, God loves righteousness. So the answer to the question is given at the end. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Do right. They can always do right. They have that ability within them. Why? Because verse 1 says, In the Lord put I my trust. So I don't have to worry that they're saying, hey, you need to get out of here. You need to flee as a bird into the mountain. And he's saying, wait a minute, Uh, I don't have to do that. Because all I need to do is do right. Tonight, there's a a cancel culture movement in our society. Whose main goal is to remove any permanent reference to God whose main goal is to counter Christianity or morality or any absolute truth, and any business 
or any person that associates with such people. The question before us is this. If all that we know to be true, if all that we know to be righteous in this country, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, if all that is true and righteous is destroyed, what are the righteous supposed to do? And we're living in that day. You talk about relevance. We are living in a time of vulnerability for those of us of faith. We're living in a time where the culture that we live in is completely opposed to our God. Completely opposed to anything that would be true, that anything that would be righteous. And so in the last two years now, think about this, all that has happened in our country, there are some Christians who would read this text like this. Well, if a foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Think about it that way. I had a man come up to me after preaching this in Vancouver, Canada, and he said, I've always read that passage. Well, if they be destroyed, what can we do about it anyway? Well, listen, the foundations are not our job to worry about. You see that? But we sure do a lot of worrying about it, don't we? We get wrapped around the axle about what's happening in this country. By the way, I'm as patriotic as anybody. I spent six years in the Air Force. So please understand that I'm not counter-America. I am for America. But if the foundations of this country fall off the planet tomorrow, that is not within your and mine uh, power to change. God, according to this passage in verse 4, is in his holy temple. By the way, he's always been in his holy temple. By the way, he'll always be in his holy temple. Now that being the case, the only people that we can worry about, or the only person that you and I can worry about, in the midst of all this, is us. All of this happens around us, and we watch these news programs, and man, we get fit to be tired. I had to turn it off. I'd be like, you know what? That is counterproductive to the Spirit of God in my life. I cannot listen to another thing because it makes me so angry. And God said, why are you angry? This isn't your planet. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He's the one that turns it whithersoever he will. It's not your hand that the king's heart is. It's in mine. So here's what I want you to do. Hush. And just do right. The Lord loveth righteousness. If the foundations be destroyed, now I want you to think of it this way. What are Christians supposed to do? Well, what have Christians always done? Let's go back a little farther. When the church was being, when the church had, uh, the Bible says that Paul wreaked havoc on the church. And he hailed many into prison. Persecuted, people died. When that happened in Jerusalem, what'd they do? When it happened in Lystra, when it happened in Thessalonica, when it happened in Crete, in Rome, in France, when it happened in Germany, when it happened in Holland, in England, what were, what went on then? What were they supposed to do? When it happens today in China, in Korea, in Iran, when things fall apart for Christians in Laos and Nigeria and Sudan and Cameroon and Ethiopia and India and Syria, Look, just name a country in the world and the persecution against the spread of the gospel and here's what you'll find Christians still doing. They still get together and assemble. 
they still pray to the all-loving, almighty God. They still sing praises like we did tonight. They still give offerings. They still preach the word of God. They still send missionaries. They still bring them back. They still go. Then they're, then the, the living and they're telling others about Jesus Christ. By the way, they do it with no regard to the political agenda. They don't get their life wrapped up in politics. They get their life wrapped up in the person of God Almighty. That's what the righteous do when the foundations are destroyed. That's what believers do. They don't worry about what they shouldn't be worrying about. They let God take care of it. They love their God. And they love their families by night. And they work in their communities by day waiting for the opportunity to tell somebody about the freedom they have in Jesus Christ knowing that it may cost them. Did you know a pastor in China today a, a, uh, a national pastor in China today expects to spend no less than seven years in prison of his life. They know it going in. When you're in China and you're called of God to be a pastor and preach the gospel, you accept the fact that what I'm about to say publicly will cost me seven years of my life. Seven years away from my, lot, my wife. Seven years away from my little babies. Seven years away from my congregation. And yet they do it every single week. Now, I don't know about you. But that convicts me to no end. That's what they've always done. That's what Christians have always done when foundations are destroyed. And by the way, that will continue to be the case in some until Jesus comes. So what if the foundations are destroyed? What if tomorrow the triplets, the governor of Washington, the governor of Oregon, the governor of California all decide they're going to overthrow the Northwest? And everything goes to pot. Wait, it's already gone to pot. What am I talking about? <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. It just came out. What, what, so what if it does? Well, what, what if they stop saying that, you, you, you look, you've you, you got to close your churches. You can't go out and tell people about Christ. They start saying things like, up until a few weeks after a baby's born, it's legal to kill him. Oh, wait, that happened too. What, what are we to do? Let me give you several suggestions tonight. It, If the foundations are destroyed, what are we supposed to do? Well, I'll say, first of all, we're supposed to continue to believe. No matter what happens. The very first verse says, in the Lord put I my trust. In the Lord put I my trust. I want you to understand, it doesn't say in the White House. It doesn't say in the Capitol building. It doesn't say anything on this earth. My help cometh not from the hills. My help cometh from the Lord. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? You have no right to say to me to flee to the mountain. Why? Because God is my God, the living sovereign of heaven. What am I supposed to believe about God? According to this passage, that God is on his throne, that God is not going to be removed from his throne and that he has the knowledge of everything going on. Did you know that God doesn't watch Fox news? Did you know that? Some of you are like, I didn't know that, actually. I thought he did. Well, I tell you, he doesn't watch CNN. The fact of the matter is, God doesn't need to be informed. I'm, since you brought it up, I want you to see what the Bible says. The Bible says uh, uh, in verse uh, 5, the Lord trieth the hearts. 
The Bible says that he sees, look at verse four, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes behold, his eyelids try, who? Everybody, the children of men. There's nothing that goes unnoticed to our God. That's how I can trust him. Because what he doesn't, what he doesn't uh, uh, initiate, he allows. Which means because our God is good always, how many believe that? Because our God is just always, because he's perfect in all of his ways, that he must know something that I don't know. That there's something that must be continued, that he's not necessarily worried about everything going on in the world because it's all in his hands. What he's worried about is how we respond to it. The reactions of our life to God's responsibilities is what he's after. What should we believe? Well, that God is in control, which means that we can trust him. Psalm 56, 11, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Psalm 33, verse 13, the Lord looketh from the heaven or from heaven for he beholdeth all the sons of men. Shall not God search this out for he knoweth the secrets of the heart. The eyes of the Lord, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23 and verse 24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? And so God says, listen, here's what I need you to do. Trust me. And we would all say, well, I want to trust God more, but have you seen what they're saying? It doesn't matter whether you've seen it or not. God's seen it. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. And yes, it should bother me, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna balance everything in my life because I don't like what's going on in the world. Nobody does. By the way, God says, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to please me. And the Bible just happens to say in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So what am I talking about? This is my faith response to the person of God in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. Like when truth has fallen in the streets. When good is called evil and evil is called good. What am I supposed to do? Believe that God's enough. We're not the first, did, did it ever occur to you that we're not the first Christians to live in a corrupt society? That may be a shock. Now listen, I understand we may be part of the first that we think has lived in a corrupt America, but can I just confess something to you? The captain just put on, put on, put on the fasten seatbelt sign, so I don't want you to fall out of your pew. America has been corrupt for longer than just the last few years. I just, are we all Okay. I just want you to know that this country has been living on spare grace for decades. So we're not the first Christians to wake up and go, oh, did you see what was on the news? Did you get that? No, we're not the first ones. What does that tell you? Well, that means the foundations have been being destroyed for a long time. So God says, here's what I want. I want you to trust me. When the foundations are destroyed, I want you, like every other believer who's followed me in, in the last two millennia, to do one thing. Believe. Believe like you always have. Believe like you could trust me. Someone said circumstances are not allowed into your life in order to change what, we, you, what you believe about God, but to enhance what you believe about God. 
Now, they said, it's not the time for our faith to fail. Tomorrow, when you get some more news, tomorrow, when you hear another, read another headline, tomorrow, when more negativity comes from a certain source or about our country or about the world stage, and it is awful, don't forget who is on his throne. Continue to believe. Secondly, we need to continue to behave. We need to continue to behave. Every situation has an audience. And all that happens in this world that brings darkness is testing the light within every believer. As our heart and mind is stayed upon an immovable and unchanging God, then our conversation, our lifestyle, our behavior will will reflect what we believe. So, we've got to behave according to what we believe. Now, as you read the Word of God... As you become a child of God, you realize that there are some titles. I would say there are some uh, privileges given to the child of God. By those privileges, we're supposed to behave. How many have ever been told when you were little, how many remember you and your family going over to so-and-so's house and dad or mom would always say, okay, they'd give the talk, right? All right, we're going over to... Ralph and Jesse Holland's house, and I want you to be on your best behavior. My daddy would say, I want you to act like Haynes. I want you to understand that that's my name, not yours. I gave it to you. And I want you to behave yourself like you're my child. Well, we know what that meant. Don't embarrass dad. Don't interrupt them. Don't back talk. You need to to answer when you're spoken to, and if you're not spoken to, don't answer. (laughs) You, You just be quiet. Those days are gone, by the way. Kids today insert themselves in every conversation, right? There's no longer kids are supposed to be seen and not heard. That was my, look, you're supposed to be seen and not heard. So I just stand in the corner like a lamp. What are you doing? You know. Now, now the fact of the matter is, guess what? If you're saved, you're a child of God. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power. That's the right. To be called the sons of God. You're a child of God. With the foundations being destroyed, are you acting like it? Is your behavior matching what you just shouted out, amen, about God? Wait, God is our heavenly father. If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? God is a better daddy than I am, but he expects better behavior than I do. He wants me to behave like his child. The Bible says in John 1, 31, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Get it, that we should be called the sons of God. It's almost like John saying, preacher, I, I can't believe I get to be a child of God. But does our behavior match that? Do we actually walk into this world of darkness like a child of light? Do we actually walk among the dead like a child of the living? We just, we just celebrated again the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ be not risen, then ye are dead in your sins. But if he is risen, then you're going to be risen again. And we live in that life currently. Are we behaving like it? We're supposed to behave like children of God. Galatians 3 and verse 26. For ye are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans eight sixteen. The spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Well, how do children of God behave? 
They live by faith and not fear. We get so fearful, don't we? Stock market this, political that, world dominance this, our country that. Reflecting the peace of God in a chaotic world is living by faith. Children of God behave with the love of God, not with the anger of the world. John 16, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have, be a, be, uh, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We're supposed to behave like children of God. Let me give you another one. We're supposed to behave like servants of God. We talked about that this morning. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. See, we think that we're only supposed to serve those who serve us. Jesus said, that's not what I taught you. We think we're only supposed to serve those who agree with our political stance. We think we're only supposed to serve those who agree with us on every term. God said, no, I want you to go a little farther. I want you to serve your enemies. I want you to serve people who won't serve you back because you're not really serving them anyway. You're serving me. That's the way you're supposed to behave. When the foundations are destroyed, are we servants? Jesus gave the greatest, greatest lesson on servant leadership by washing feet. And, and, and it was like, can you imagine being in that room? That must have been amazing to sit in that room and to see the Lord Jesus himself do what nobody else would do. And he said, by this, I've given you all an example. Now you'll recall... There was one in that room who wouldn't be in, in the supper. That was Judas. And Jesus even washed his feet. Well, it's not preacher. I could wash, I could wash, you know, my wife's feet. I could wash my family's feet. I could serve them. I, I could serve some people that are likable. But could you serve the unlikable? Remember James and John walking through Samaria? fire will destroy these people jesus looks at them and says, you have no idea what you're saying you have no idea what spirit you are i didn't come to destroy i didn't come to take life i came to give it i came to save life these are these guys are sitting there peter impetuous peter he was sitting there doubting thomas all of them it didn't matter to jesus who was sitting there what mattered is they were sitting there And so Jesus served. What did he do? He gave us an example. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. If the foundations be destroyed, we start with our faith. But that faith leads to something that we do. It's behavior. That means we're supposed to be the servants of God. But now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Wait a minute, there's more. We're supposed to behave like the friends of God. You're my friends, Jesus said. God doesn't tell people what he's going to do if they're not friends. Jesus said those words. Now let me ask you a question. Have you behaved like a child of God? Have you behaved like a servant of God? But how's your friendship with God? Did you wake up any time this last week and say, Lord... Thanks for being my friend. Your preacher called me a friend last night and I started crying. 
I was like, I can't even believe. I can't even, I can't even believe that he calls me his friend because of how high I put your pastor. Now, wait a minute. Brother Munchell's a good man. He's a great man. And I love him to death. But Jesus is better. And I want to say that he could call me his friend. But I want to have in my heart the fact that our friendship means something to me. See, it's all about consumption for some people. Well, God called me his friend. I must be friend worthy. No, we're worthy of death. And yet God said, I love you. I'm going to put a brand on you that says, not only are you my child, but I'm your friend. Did you know that God called Moses his friend? He spoke with Moses like no other man face to face. When's the last time you spoke to God face to face? That's how we're supposed to behave. No wonder Christians are losing it in a lunatic world. Because we don't have a strong relationship with the best friend we've ever had. The Lord Jesus Christ. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. That's how we're supposed to behave. When people see you, do they see a friend of God? Let me give you another one. We're supposed to act like his disciples. The Bible says... Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You see, COVID, for many, was an opportunity to bail. But for others, it was an opportunity to to be continued. It was an opportunity to say, look, I, I, I'm not going to allow what's going on in the world to stop me from being a Christian. Amen. I'm not going to allow what's going on in the world to stop me from building my relationship with Jesus Christ instead of listening to the foundations being destroyed. Amen. I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to thrive. I want to continue to pray. I want to continue to believe. I want to continue to behave. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And so God says plainly, listen, if the foundations be destroyed, I love righteousness. Well, let's just think about what's right about being a Christian. What are some things that mark a Christian? Our belief marks us more than anything. But a belief that doesn't lead to behavior is not belief. So how do you know that? Well, since you brought it up, faith without works is dead. Belief Without behavior is not belief. But if I believe that God is all that he is, and I'm pursuing him for all that I can, then it affects my behavior. Now, come on. Are we going to be children or not? Are we going to be servants or not? Are we going to be disciples or not? Are we going to be the friends of our Savior or not? Are we going to be followers with an intent to obey? The last one is we're ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, But we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors, our lifestyle, our behavior, the way we live, the way we move, the way we have our being in this falling world tells a story of relationship, tells a story of commitment, tells a story of loyalty to our Savior. God said this in Isaiah 43, ye 
are my witnesses, saith the Lord. I and my servant whom I have chosen that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. The Savior is supposed to change the way I live. Listen, not my circumstances. That's what this psalm is all about. It's not about us saying, God, change our circumstances. God, listen, I think we need to pray for revival. I think we need to pray for our president and our leadership. That's the Bible's commanded us to do that. I think we need to pray for our country that God would have mercy. But I want you to understand, I don't know that it would be right to say, God, change our country. I don't like our president. I don't like our governor. I don't like our mayor. I don't like, you know what I mean? Instead of God, change me. Did you realize that circumstances are God's hands just to mold you to look exactly like the one that came to die for you? Romans 8, 28. We know that verse. For all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. And I'll go, yes, all things are going to work out. The very next verse says why. So that you could be conformed to the image of his son. Things don't work out until God works in. And then he works out. So if what we believe about God in heaven and the earth deteriorates because of our circumstances, then we have nothing to offer those who are living in the blind condemnation of unbelief. If Christians cannot continue to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, that's going to affect their behavior. Do you understand when you go to work tomorrow, you have nothing to give? The person that works on the cubicle on the other side of you who's lost, who is condemned already according to John chapter 3 and verse 18, who is living with the wrath of God abiding on them, you cannot help them because your faith has failed in the day of adversity. On the other hand, if your faith is strong and you have renewed your mind and your belief in the God who is sovereign over all is still on the throne... And it's affecting your behavior. Great day. You've got so much to give. You have a feast. You could be a servant. You could be very quickly a light. You very easily could be the salt that they need in order to be saved. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We could continue to believe and trust God. We continue to behave like children. Thirdly, let's just say this and I'm done. We need to continue to blush. We need to continue to blush. The Bible says in Jeremiah 6 and verse 15, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? The next verse says, nope, nay. They were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. You know what I mean by blush? Normally when you blush, you're embarrassed. Right? Anybody ever seen the movie Thumper? I'm sorry, Bambi? Bambi, you guys remember? It was just after black and white became color. Right? And Thumper meets the little girl bunny rabbit. And he gets Twitter-pated. Remember? Starts down on his foot and he goes crazy and his little cheeks... They turn blush because he's a little embarrassed about the way he feels, right? A little awkward. If you trip and fall, you get embarrassed, you blush, something happens and, you know, you kind of blush. You know what I'm talking about. The Bible says here, 
the people of God were committing sin and they weren't embarrassed about it. They didn't blush anymore. In fact, when God said, hey, you have sin in your life, they were like, no, we don't have sin in our life. Not only were they in denial, but they couldn't even blush about it. They weren't embarrassed by it. Let me ask you this. Does sin embarrass you? Others' sin? Or even yours? Doesn't it bother you that the Bible says that the Lord is in His holy temple? His eyes behold, His eyelids try. So that if there's nothing that goes unseen by God, there's no such thing as a secret sin in my life before God. And does that bother me? Am I willing to admit before God that I don't have a problem knowing that He knows that I do? Does it bother me when society is given to sin? Or do I kind of accommodate it? I find that when God's people get so comfortable and accustomed to sin around them, it causes them to be comfortable with sin in them. We've gotten too comfortable with sin. Way too comfortable. There's a church in the Bible that had that problem. It's the church at Corinth. Paul said, you got some issues. I want to talk to you like you're grown-up people that are willing to take the meat, but I can't. You, you, you all are so full of pride, and there are divisions, and there are envyings, and there is strife, and, and you, you've even corrupted the Lord's table. You're coming in and doing it like it's a common meal. What's going on? They couldn't even blush. Could I just say this? If a church in the first century can get to the point where they don't blush, it's possible to happen in the 21st century. Amen. That we could get so accustomed to the things that we watch or the things that we listen to or the places that we go or the conversations that happen at work that it doesn't bother us anymore. And it should. It should bother us when we hear things like babies could legally be killed after they're born. It should bother us about all of the different sin that's in society but it should bother us to the point that we don't want to be associated with it. Sin no longer embarrasses some people, it emboldens them. For others, sin is no longer seen as destructive because in many ways it's so delightful. Sin is no longer separating, it's liberating. And yet the Bible says, having therefore these precious promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Sin is damaging to the grace of God in your life. You need to hear me say that. It dulls you to the effects of sin. Sin is deceitful. Did you know that? The Bible says that it's deceitful. By the way, our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So it kind of rings true that if sin is deceitful and my heart is deceitful, I've got to be diligent and sober. I've got to watch at all times. And most of the time, we're just not watching. You know, sometimes even in Christian circles, and I get it, you want to get with a Christian brother and sister so that you can kind of relax. Nothing's going to happen with us because we're all Christians and we go to GVBC and we have the same pastor and we read the same Bible and we have all of these things and we get so relaxed. The devil swerves in there and 
we start gossiping about somebody. We start being critical about somebody. Well, if it's not at the church, then we can just, we can be critical about the government. We can be critical about COVID. Did you know I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, had to, made a, had to, had to make a family pact, preacher, with his family. He said, we had to promise ourselves that whenever we're together, we will not mention COVID or the handling of COVID because of what it was doing to us, because of what it, it was making us think and say, and it wasn't honoring to the Lord. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Do you know what he was doing? Blushing. He was saying before God, Lord, this doesn't honor you. And because it doesn't honor you, I don't want to be a part of it. I want to watch out. Sin is damaging to the grace of God that's needed for others to be saved. Therefore, as Christians, we've got to strive to be embarrassed and ashamed of our sin enough to get it right. The Apostle Paul of the church at Corinth didn't say, okay, well, if you ain't going to get it right, you can't take the Lord's table. He didn't say use the Lord's table as a reason not to be right. He said use the Lord's table as a reason to get right. Let every man examine himself and then partake. It's the time where we're supposed to say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me be right with God. We need to blush if the foundations be destroyed. Now, the fact of the matter is, all this is happening at breakneck speed. But Jesus said the life built on the rock has a foundation that cannot be destroyed. Whosoever cometh to me, there's the invitation, and heareth my sayings and doeth them, there's the action. I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, these are the people that say they believe, but then it doesn't affect their behavior. Is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did be heat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now the fact remains the foundation of this country is eroding away. But your foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be moved. There's a reason that this psalmist said I have set the Lord always before me therefore I shall not be moved. It's because his belief affected his behavior and his behavior included the blush of sin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity to open your word and to look into this psalm. And God, we realize tonight that the Christian life is designed to be continued through any circumstance in every culture because there is an expected end according to your word. There is a right conclusion that you want us to be brought to. And that only comes, God, as we continue in the faith. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. God, we know that verse. We also know that circumstances at times, emotionally, mentally, in some cases physically, can be overpowering. 
Many ways, God, we allow our emotions to dictate our faith rather than our faith dictating our emotions. And I pray tonight that somebody has been spoken to. And I pray that as you work and lead, that we would follow and trust so that we can obey. Lord, our country's, really our world is in a mess. There's so much going on globally. The information is coming in so fast from all over the world. God, it can be intimidating to the best Christians. And yet, Lord, the best news, the best truth that we could actually think upon in times like this is that our God is still on the throne. We can still trust Him that all this that is going on serves to take this world into a right conclusion. And that includes us. So may we, once again tonight, submit ourselves to the examination of the Holy Spirit for your glory. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, I wonder, how is your faith? Let's just be honest, nobody here tonight but us, nobody looking around. Has it been moved? Has your relationship with Christ been strengthened in the last two or three months? I think we could probably all say, well, Pastor, it can always be better. I'm not asking that question. I'm asking, has it been good? And if not, why not? What, what's keeping you from bettering that friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ? What, what's in your life that you should be blushing about that you're not? What, what, what is it that you're holding on to inside? I don't know what it is, but God does. Tonight, this invitation is very simple. And it's between you and God. And I wonder if God's touched your heart about your worry, about your fret, about him being in control, about your ability to witness to somebody else effectively because your faith has affected your behavior. How many would say, perhaps tonight, Pastor, the Lord spoke to me directly tonight about me trusting him and not looking at my circumstances. And I want to. I want to in a much better way. I don't want to be so moved by the vulnerabilities of this world. I want to be moved by God. I want to have a better relationship with him. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, God spoke to me specifically tonight, and I need to do business with him. Would you pray for me and the decisions I need to make? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand tonight? Anybody like that? Anybody? Just lift your hands up real quick over the building. You can put them down. How many would say specifically, Pastor Haynes, I listen too much to the world, to the world's news, to the world's information, and not enough to God. I need to write that ship tonight before I leave, before I start work tomorrow. Would you pray for me? How many would say that's my prayer tonight? Anybody like that? Anybody? All right, you can put your hands down. How many would say, Pastor, my relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be better. Tonight I want to commit to God that I will work that piece of my puzzle this week specifically 
for his glory. How many would say that's my prayer tonight? Just slip up your hand real quick. All over the building. Praise the Lord. With nobody looking, how many would say, Pastor, I don't blush like I used to. And I need to. Whether it's in my life or around me, I need for my sin to bother me. That's my prayer tonight. Nobody looking but me and God. Here's my prayer. If that's your hand, would you just slip it up real quick? Anybody like that? All right, in a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray. The piano's going to play right after I'm done praying. As she plays, would you step out of your seat and find your place at this altar? You may want to bring your wife. You may want to bring your kids. You may want to pray just by yourself. It may want to be, you may want to pray right there in your own seat. I don't know. But if God's spoken to you tonight, would you reiterate to him what needs to happen in your life? Would you stand with me together for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I come before you now and I ask on behalf of all of these good people that raised their hands as you've spoken to them. Now, Lord, they want to respond. They want to do your will. Lord, some have said that they need to blush again. Sin needs to bother them again like it used to. I pray for that conviction tonight that the sin would not just be confessed, but forsaken and forgiven. I pray for others, Lord, that have said, They've listened far too much to the world's news, and, and, and it's affected their faith. And they want to tonight renew their mind in pursuit of the Word of God. And they need to build up their most holy faith, as the Bible says. Tonight, I pray that you'd be with them, encourage them, strengthen them, give them grace as they humble themselves at the cross. And then, God, for those that need to bolster their relationship with you, as a friend of God, as a child, as a servant, I pray that you would tonight meet them right where they are, comfort them, help that relationship to be with unconditional love and surrender, that the trust that flows from that love would overtake them this week. They would see the hand of God in their life. Bless this invitation now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to come tonight, the altar's open. It's time for God's people to come back to the altar. It's time for God's people to say, I remember. I remember now. I remember before all this happened, I was ready and willing. When, when God spoke, I was up and I was down there. And I'm praying and I, I, I'm submitting to God. That There's something about the outward action of submission that God uses. I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but He sure does. Grace is waiting. Strength is waiting. Comfort is waiting. Power is waiting. Pray. Pray and ask God. Not what He's doing. Why is all this happening in the world? Don't question God sitting on His throne. Question what He's doing in your life and how you're responding to it. Only trust Him.
Look right up here tonight. You've listened well. Thank you so much. Remember this. It's God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And what God has started working in you must be continued to bring it to an expected end. God bless you. Preacher. Let's give Brother Haynes a good hand. Thank you. Thank you for delivering the Word of God to us tonight. It's been a wonderful day and a blessed day. I trust each one of you have a wonderful week as you serve the Lord. Uh, You are dismissed. God bless you.